It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. back to the PHLY Sixers post-game show. Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman to talk about something we haven't had very much practice doing, which is a loss. Uh, the last time we spoke about a loss was opening night. Sixers had reeled off eight in a row, not to be tonight. How you doing, Rich? And Derek, they did it in the NBA Cup. <laughs> How could they do this to us? Yeah. It's clearly the fault of the courts, those bright red courts, distracted... Everyone on the Sixers, that's why they shot 6-for-22 from three-point range. The only explanation I could come up with. No, it was, I mean, look, it, I, I think this by, was... By the way, that court is an awful, absolute disgrace. Awful. Uh, and I've, I've, I've probably received more pushback on that than I expected, but between the bright red and just the overall, like, it, I find the lack of differentiation between inbounds and out-of-bounds distracting. I think that's a real design flaw purpose of a court should be so you can see where you are on it and i think that's fundamentally tougher on these and i just think it's ugly but i've, I've received a surprising amount of pushback on that that's proof that people will push back against literally everything. everything yeah you, you make a statement online you will get pushback yep. for it uh yeah I, I think my problem with it is it hurt my eyes to watch like it just you know it reminded me of like the kool-aid man crashing through the, the brick wall or the uh Kenny Rogers Roasters episode of Seinfeld where uh, Kramer and Jerry went blind, basically. Yeah. It, was, uh, it was rough to watch. But we could talk about the game because the Sixers, no excuse. I mean, if they did make the excuse that the court was messing with them, I got to be honest, I'd be like, I I'm not usually for those excuses. I yeah. might be like, eh, you know, I kind of feel that. But they were bad. No, if it was like they were, like if, if Furkan stepped on the out-of-bounds line four times, I'd say, yeah, I think that could probably be attributed yeah. to the court. The lack of effort was probably not because of the red court. I don't want to give them that kind of out. Um, they bad. were. It was. It was a frustrating one, and it was one I think you could see. And look, Joe was dominant at times. Like he got to the free throw line constantly in the first half. From about the mid second quarter on, he looked like maybe the pace of the game or just how frequently Sixers were playing caught up to him. He did not look like he had a whole lot of energy here tonight. I thought that was really problematic in the fourth quarter. But really, I thought the energy level was not great for much of the night. Maxi had a down game, especially the first three quarters he was down. Again, I don't want to make too much out of that because Maxi's, I mean, the last show we did, he had dropped a 50 spot and we were talking about him and make, you know, there's all kinds of comparisons online about comparing his stats, like 23 year old Steph and Harden and D Wade. And like, there's all kinds of crazy comparisons. He, for the most part, he's earned that with his play. He's allowed an off night, but he was certainly off here. And when you look up, and obviously, they're down Nick Batum. He was out for personal reasons. They're down Kelly Obrey. He was out because he got hit by a freaking car. Uh, and he will, you know, he's got a couple of, of cracked ribs. So they lost some depth. And he looked up, and like Marcus Morris was posting up, Oof. and your offense was being run by, you know, DeAnthony Melton and Tobias Harris. And it's like, all right, this might be a tough one, especially against a team that gets up and down the floor like the way the Pacers do. I mean, speaking of what a weird game it is, I feel like we've done a lot of these pods early in the season, and we've talked about. Sixers win, 
but man, DeAnthony Melton was terrible. And this was the exact opposite. DeAnthony yep. Melton shot 10 free throws tonight, Derek. Yeah, yeah. 10 it free throws. Tied a career high in makes. He went 10 for 10 from the free throw line. Career high in attempts was 11, so he was one off of that. And again, I thought he was a player where like, he made a three, had a couple of drives. You th probably thought, like, oh, man, this is a little wild. I'm not sure I want to see DeAnthony Melton trying to create this much in a half court. But when the Pacers were so bad defensively and when nobody else really seemed like they had it going... He had a real good night, and I think the most telling thing, or at least the most important thing, is the fact that he went four for six from three just because you need him to get that shot back so that when your two stars are playing like the stars we believe them to be most nights, he can play a complementary role. But they needed everything, and I thought Tobias was strong. I thought Melton was strong. I thought Paul Reed was strong off the bench, even though he didn't have much in the scoreboard. But you need your two stars to be stars. And Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, uh, again, especially Joel Embiid in the second half and Tyrese Maxey in the first three quarters, just had an off night. Yeah, and so I see a lot of uh, comments in the chat where talking about Embiid's late execution, and look, I agree. But I would like to make the point that I thought the Sixers, their poor offensive execution in the fourth quarter was in large part due to Joel being gassed because they didn't get back on defense yeah. for three quarters. And, yeah. you know, we were watching the game together here, and we were talking about, man, Joel is, like, completely gassed trying to get back. And how many times did, you know, they throw the ball ahead to Obi Toppin, and Joel has to go get him, and then Joel has to guard Halliburton on the, uh, on the perimeter. I, I really thought, like, as much as we can talk about the late game execution, which I thought was very poor— Indiana plays this goofy style of basketball yeah. where they don't really care about defense, but they are as committed to pushing the ball as any NBA team I've ever seen. And they are awesome at it. And, yep. you know, whether that's Halliburton, who was spectacular in this game, throwing the ball ahead, whether that's, you know, even when the Sixers get back, there are cross matches all over the place, and it's a very difficult thing to guard. And it's just like, you know, when, when Tyrese Halliburton is getting smoked, or uh, is, sorry, He's also getting smoked off the dribble. He's a pretty bad defensive player. Yeah. But when he is blowing by Pat Bev, when he's blowing by Rocco, when he's blowing by all of these guys off the dribble, and Joel has to go try and block that shot, and then the Pacers are getting the offensive rebound, like that is a big reason I thought Joel was, was tired in the fourth quarter. Okay, now let's get to the fourth quarter, though, because I do think, like, look, J Joe did lose the game at the end there. The, the shot he took up one over his head, yeah. which... In the moment, I'm not gonna lie, we both laughed at. Sure, it was ridiculous, and look, I think he thought he was gonna get fouled, and he's just trying to get something up at the rim. But I, you've got to you've got to play for the shot there. Yeah, um, and I, I kind of disagree with a lot of the low effort on the defensive end from Embiid. Like I, I think the Sixers were getting absolutely smoked on the perimeter, and that is just as much of an issue. Uh, for sure, and I think he was gassed, and I think that led to some late rotations for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, like, I think everybody was really poor on the defensive end of the night, and it just was not the type of game that was uh, was meant for him. But his execution down the stretch was brutal. I mean, shot over his head, miss. Then they single cover him again, and he bricks a dunk. Then he gets an offensive foul on the short roll when they go uh, empty side pick and roll with Maxi. And then at the end, after they do get a stop, after one of his better uh, defensive possessions, he was switched out on to Tyrese Halliburton, uh, he gets called for a travel, bringing the ball up the court. So... His late game execution, I mean, the uh, the play at the end where he ends up like firing the, uh, he, he picks up his dribble and he ends up firing the, what was that, like the contested 35-footer yeah. nobody else is open? I mean, it was a disaster class down the stretch. Yeah, but, and he had that one possession where he picked up his dribble right after crossing the half-court line. Uh, not a good game. Not, not a good game down the stretch for sure. Um, and I thought the other real turning point in that game, like he got all of Indy's big men in foul trouble in the second quarter, and they just couldn't get him the ball in the post. Indy was throwing out a very, very small lineup there to end that second quarter. Really thought they could have done a better job of exploiting that. They didn't. Uh, just a, a, a tough game. And again, he ended up with, what was his final stat line there? 39 points, including 17 for 17 from the three-year line. 12 rebounds, six assists. Did have the five turnovers, um, but just a, a, a struggle uh, for very long. And it, again, it just looked like the pace got to him. Yeah, and I mean, he starts out good, right? He, he's making hook shots in the post. He, he put what? He put two fouls on all three of Indiana's big guys in like five seconds. And I, I will give a little credit. Miles Turner, I wrote in my notes, he is the president of the good player, but no shot against yeah. Joel Embiid club. Yeah, he played well. 
I think Jared Allen is the vice president. Of that club. <laughs> right, right. Um, but Miles Turner was better than Embiid down the stretch, yeah. and Indiana just out-executed them. But I, I really, like, I need to emphasize, like, Indiana running the ball down the Sixers' throat, that was something that, you know, like, the, the fourth quarter was an accumulation of how tired Joel was in the first three quarters. And, uh, you know, you know, he takes a shot over his head, which was really bad. But I, I do just want to emphasize that I think the Sixers, in a lot of ways, lost this game with their poor perimeter defense. Like, yeah. Indiana plays absurdly fast. How many times did Obi Toppin lay the ball in after a made basket? Yep. You know, and that's, look, that's part the Sixers uh, not getting back on defense. That's part Indiana executing their game plan. And, you know, I think in that first half, Indiana shot 25-3. Sixers did a much better job in the second half on the defensive yep. end. But a lot of the damage was already done. No, when you give up 25 threes and a half, like you can't then pat yourself on the back for giving up fewer in the second half. Yeah. yeah. So, look, I, Indy plays one of the goofiest styles you'll ever see. I mean, they played that goofy style the other night. The, the only difference was that Tyrese Maxey was awesome, and he was below average tonight for him. So, uh, yeah, it's that, that is such a weird team to play, and it's a very tough team to play twice. I, I would also say, like, I'm not panicking too much about the Sixers because I think we've seen – over the years, like it's pretty hard to beat a team two times in a row it's in these back-to-back. -back incredibly tough. Yeah, no, that's something Kyle brought up in the, the last show. Like it almost never happens. So again, it's, I, I feel like we're here, right? We have to talk about the game. It wasn't a great game to talk about. I'm reading almost nothing into it, uh, especially when you talk about the fact that Batum was out, that Ubre was out. All of a sudden that wing depth, that wing depth that, you know, we thought they sort of had, that was gone. You're playing some Marcus Morris is playing way more and you want you're featuring him on offense out of a timeout. Weird shit happened. Um, it was a frustrating game to watch. I don't want to panic. I don't want to overemphasize how important it is. It was just a bad game. Uh, Julian has a, a comment. Thoughts on Maxi only taking five threes. Seems like he's too good of a shooter to have that low of a volume. I agree. I, I mean, do. Rich is president of the 10 threes a game, uh, you know, well, no, club no, no. for Maxi. I'm, I'm vice president. Joel oh. is the president. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. He's the one who, who came up with that. Uh, look, I think Indy has a pretty simple game plan, right? They, they switch it up. Finally, at the end, there was some shifting on that Embiid Maxi pick and roll. Melton made a three. But for the most part, they try to beat you in the math battle. They try and shoot more threes than you. And on defense, they actually allow the fewest number of threes in the league, at least the percentage-wise. Right. And I think partially that's because they're just letting players like Pat Bev walk to the rim and score. They're yeah. Like, their lack of resistance can be pathetic at times, but they are not really helping off shooters. That said, though, I do think Maxi is starting to realize, man, I can just get off these threes whenever I want. Like the, yeah. the separation he He's gets able, on yep. the step back. He had one of them tonight. It is outrageous. And I, I think Nurse made a really good point after the game on, uh, on Sunday where it's like, man, it's really hard to guard him. Like when he's that fast going to the rim and you're worried about him getting all the way to the cup, getting into the paint for floaters, and he could just cross over and step back. Yep. That's how you get that separation where Bruce Brown looked like he wanted to quit the other night. Um, so I, I do think he probably can do a better job of hunting those threes. And, you know, I think at least early in the season, he's seen, you know, himself have these big games. Maybe he can have the confidence to do that. But, but part of it is just Indiana is forcing him inside the paint. Yeah, and by forcing him inside the paint, yes, they're running him off of the three-point line and then sending no help defenders his way. That's part of the reason why I think maybe some of this uh, effort was a little bit frustrating because, again, outside of that third quarter, the Sixers really didn't seem like they were executing all that well against the defense and the Pacers, who's as bad as you will see in a league. And Rich and I are, at points, a little dumbfounded by how bad they are, especially how bad they are inside the paint. It seems like they have the personnel to at least be better, maybe not good, but better. Uh, but there was driving lanes open all night. Rich mentioned it, like the Sixers would get in a late clock, give Pat Bev the ball, and he would somehow have an easy drive down the lane. <laughs> and when that's able to happen, when DeAnthony Melton's getting the free throw line 10 times, this was a team in, in the Pacers who was ripe for being picked off. The Sixers just didn't execute well enough to do that. And again, I think some people will look at Maxie's line, and he ended up with 27 points, uh, six assists. You know, he shot nine for 23 from the field and four turnovers. It was definitely an off night for Maxi. He left some things on the table. And do I care? No. Again, this doesn't change any of our evals on Maxi on the Sixers, I don't really think. It was just, it was, this was a, a game that was there and they let it slip. That's going to happen at various points of the season. They are eight and two. They did, are coming off of an eight game winning streak. It's just a, a tough game to watch. Um, and look, 37 threes to 22, that's not great. Like the Sixers shot 50% from the field. 
if you're going to shoot 22 threes against the Indiana Pacers, you got to shoot like 60% on yeah. the field, right? Like you got to be laying the ball in the freaking basket. And, you know, I just felt like a lot of the Sixers, whether it was Joel got um, a little bit over his skis on some of his drives. I thought Maxi was a little bit out of control. Like give the Pacers credit. Like I thought Andrew Nemhard and Bruce Brown did a much better job of sticking to him yep. in this game. Like Agreed. he did not get the same level of separation. Like he was in the second quarter of that 50 point game the other night, it was embarrassing how easily he was getting into the paint. So for them to offer a little bit more resistance, I, I think you do have to give them, uh, give them credit, but yeah, just like, look off night from the two stars. Um, look, it's, it's going to be tough. Like I think what what is tough about this game is Nick nurse said, I believe at practice yesterday, Kyle had the quote, I think he said, throw your ace and, uh, play for rain or pray for rain. Right. Right. Well, they threw the race tonight and yeah. Boston is coming in tomorrow with a, a, not just a rest advantage, but you just played the Pacers, which that's going to take a lot out of yep. you just with, with how fast that game is. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tough spot tomorrow night. Agreed. Agreed. All right. Let's take a quick break here to talk about our sponsors. This one here from chocolate milk. You were a big athlete. I'm sure you needed rest and recovery drinks. Not a big athlete, which is sort of on the shorter end of athletes, but he was an athlete in high school. Call me me big? I'm not calling you big. You're just not tall. You're just not. Anyway, I'm getting a little off track here. You're calling me short. (laughs) Okay. There's there's nothing I can do here. Um, this, This ad from Pennsylvania Dairy Farmers and Team Chocolate Milk. Professional and college athletes and even rich have known about the power of chocolate milk as a refuel and recovery beverage for a long time. Chocolate milk provides high-quality protein for muscle, muscle repair, electrolytes for hydration, and calcium for strong bones. That's why studies consistently show that chocolate milk is an ideal sports recovery beverage. Whether you're recovering after a workout at the gym, a run-around boathouse row, or a bike ride on the Schuylkill Trail, chocolate milk is an ideal post-workout beverage. Taking care of your body doesn't end when the clock hits zero on your workout routine. Give your body what it needs to properly recover. What could be better than a scientifically proven recovery beverage made right here in Pennsylvania that also tastes great? Learn more about how chocolate milk can help you refuel and recover after your next workout by visiting teamchocolatemilk.com. Uh, so, two two things that I have on that. Are, has has Halliburton moved ahead of Maxi and the Tyrese, the great Tyrese? Oh, debate? man. Like, Maxi kind of edged him a little bit the other night. The uh, His stats over the two games were absolutely I mean, his, his stats on the season are outrageous. He's still leading the league in assists, right? Halliburton. I would imagine so. No, he was. So he was coming into the game. Yep, twenty-four and twelve coming into the game. So the last two games, fifty-eight points. Yeah, thirty-two assists, zero turnover. Yeah. And look, I I think Nick Nurse, um, going into this game, like I I don't know, it, it's easier said than done, but I, I think you have to just tell your team, look, guys, we're gonna score against this team. Like there there are gonna be moments where Pat Bev is driving to the lane and he's scoring like it's a CYO game or something like that. There are going to be times when DeAnthony Melton shoots 10 free throws because they can't keep him out of the paint. The entire game rests on our transition defense and how we get back after makes, you know, our second efforts, our switches, our communication. Um, And the Sixers were horrible in that tonight. Like the Pacers deserve a lot of credit, but they completely ran the ball down the Sixers' throats. Um, Tyrese Halliburton was a big reason for that, though. And I I just, like, 58 points, 32 assists, zero turnovers. It's like... Yeah, he's good. crazy. And... He'd frustrate the heck out of me because he's really, really bad defensively. But he is just an incredible... The way he has developed his shot over the years, along with his playmaking... He's, uh, I mean, when he was in, in, in Sacramento, like nobody really thought he or, or expected he would take this level of a jump. He has really blossomed running his own team. Really, really blossomed. So I think, now, I think Halliburton is probably ahead of Maxi in that debate right now, but Maxi's making it a, a case right now. I think that would be fun, though, if, if the two Tyrese's became kind of the, the next NBA rivalry. Yeah. And I, I think what strikes me, and look, Halliburton absolutely on the Sixers tonight. Was that the most important game he's ever played in his life? Like, you know, an NBA? He has not played a lot of high-leverage NBA basketball, if that's what you're getting at, yeah. And it's like, he, he strikes me as kind of not on the same level, but a Steph-like figure, where he's this awesome player, but he also is kind of the team leader, too. He's also the guy who everybody likes to play with. He seems like he's also like, to, when you're the 
most important voice in the locker room and also the best player. That's pretty rare. Um, that said, he has not played in many good games. His team plays ridiculous defense. Like, as good as they are running the ball um, on the Sixers, like, their defense, I'm, I'm sorry, you cannot get to the level that I'm sure the Pacers want to get to with a top five offense and a bottom five defense. Like, you, you need to be a little more balanced on both sides of the basketball. Um, so I think that's a, a good debate because Tyrese obviously has better teammates, right? Like, I think we can safely say that with Joel. You, you might want to go by their last name when they're both Tyrese. Oh, you're right. Maxie has better, <laughs> has better teammates. I, I, I don't know. Um, I know what you were saying. I, clearly, the Pacers didn't have better teammates. I'm just picking on you. I'm but he's also you. counted on to do a lot more. Like, yes. He's been counted on to play winning basketball in right. a way. Like, like, we judge him in a different way. Like, when Tyrese Halliburton goes for 25 and 12 and they lose by 30 because they can't score or can't defend. Um, nobody really cares when Tyrese Maxey has a tough night, you know, people are, are very passionate yeah. in the, in the chat, all those things. So I, I think that's going to be a fun thing moving forward. The, the one thing I will say about Halliburton, he made the Sixers perimeter defenders look like Looney Tunes yep. on some of those pick and rolls tonight. He made Pat Bev, like Pat Bev, like trying to reach and guard him. I felt bad for Pat Bev. Like, yeah. He was just not even in the same area code. No. I, I think the worst one of the night, too, he made Dan House look awful on one of those. Like we talked about the separation that Maxi was generating on a step back. Yeah. Dan House was in another area code on yeah. one of those. And, you know, he's obviously very crafty, knows how to reject the screens, but he did a, a great job on, uh, on the Sixers perimeter defenders who had nothing. I think. That also can kind of lead into, uh, yeah, the the wings were not very good tonight for the no. Sixers. And that's probably where maybe the short-term concern comes in if you're going to play a little while here. Without Oubre, especially on a night where Batum is away from the team, there was just way too much Marcus Morris for my liking, quite frankly. And again, I feel like we talked about this a lot in the preseason. We thought it would be, hey, why don't you play Jaden Springer over Patrick Beverly? Like, no, how about you play him over Marcus Morris? I, I don't really necessarily need to see a whole lot of Morris here in the future. Uh, again, especially if they're going to have to play without Ubre for a little while now. Um, and Cobb didn't look like he really had it. It was just a, a, we went from like, they have too many wings. I don't know who to play to man. If they could just find one playable wing here, Dan house had a struggle. Like there was just not really a outside of Tobias. There was not really a forward who had a solid game here tonight. And again, I feel like a lot of things just kind of came to a head between the pace that the Pacers play at, Sixers being down two wings, and B clearly looking gassed towards the end, uh, and Maxi maybe having a slight off night in terms of shooting. It's just a lot of things happened, and they still had a chance down the stretch, uh, which probably makes some of the execution problems they had a little more frustrating. Again, none of it is really something I want to react too strongly or react to, um, but it was a, you know, they put themselves in a position to uh, to win that game, and then eleven two a real quick eleven two Pacers run, and next thing you know, it was flipped the other way. Well, and look, we've talked about it's really cool that this team has wings now. Unfortunately, because of the the scary thing that happened to Kelly Oubre and Nick Batum being out tonight, I think those are the best two wings. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yep. And I think certainly in the case of Kelly, that's the guy who can do the most. I well, I mean, both of them, like they are the two who could do the most with the ball in their hands. And and Kelly can do it kind of, you know, creating his own shot. And Nick is the best ball mover. And just, yeah, year. especially someone like Nick, who you just trust their reads and decision-making, they really could have used some of that for sure, especially in the fourth when, you know. I, I will give you an example of a play where I was just like, man, the, the wings are just are bad. And I think a play where Batum would have been very important. There was a possession, I think it was late in the second quarter, where Joel was getting fronted on the uh, – on the post, which is something we've seen a lot. And what the Sixers do is have a player from the weak side kind of cut to the free throw line so you can throw the ball over the top to him. They threw it right to Dan House. Dan House made a perfect play. Like, that was the right read. They just dropped the ball. Yeah. And it's like, at some point, <laughs> you just got to catch the ball, man. Yeah. And, you know, he's kind of looked – he's looked pretty out of it so far. Yeah. Like, I think there's a reason he was kind of out of the rotation. Um I think Marcus Morris was minus 16 in nine first half minutes. That uh, that wasn't all on him. The most concerning thing I think I saw all night was when Morris made that turnaround from the post because he went, oh, no, he's going to try it again, and then he airballed the next one. Um, and look, there, there were plays where Morris, like, I think Obi Toppin had a layup where Marcus Morris is just completely flat-footed on the yeah. back line. Like, he just, 
He doesn't offer a ton of resistance, and he's not much of a ball mover either. I think even when he played for the Clippers, like his favorite shot is like to post up a smaller player and shoot that 12 to 14 foot turnaround. And that's like not good offense at this nope. point for the Sixers. So um, I think hopefully, you know, when Batum comes back, you see less of uh, of Morris. Like that lineup in the second quarter, I think it was Embiid, Beverly, House, Morris, Melton. Now they were lucky they had good Melton tonight. That's not going to work moving forward. No, and, and I feel like Embiid without Maxi and a whole bunch of these weird lineups, uh, it is going to be tough sledding. Like it, it was weird. We've always, for, for the entirety of Joe's career, said they can obviously start with Joe and his co-star. They can they can you know outrun or outscore the opponents. A lot of times when Embiid's in there, they still outscore the opponents. Can you survive the minutes without Embiid? So far this year, they've survived the non-Embiid minutes as long as Tyrese is in the game. It's been tougher to survive the non-Tyrese minutes. Uh, and a lot of that is just because they have no other viable ball handlers. This was certainly another game here where you're watching. And again, it was a good good DeAnthony game. You really needed that, both because you really needed him in this game and you needed him to get back on track. They just need ball handling and shot creation in the worst way outside of Tyrese. Can I give a, a quick shout-out? Tobias Harris is a badass, man. Yeah. He nope. is like one of the most underrated, toughest dudes going. And I, I know, obviously, tonight they were they were checking for a concussion, mm-hmm. which is a, a little bit different than being a tough guy. But I, I would even say on top of the concussion, the way that Bruce Brown landed on his neck, like I would be out of commission for a year if that happened, right? Like I would be like, I'm not showing up to podcast tomorrow. You know, I might have the, the sling on my neck for a while. And he was like, no, man, I'm shooting these free throws. And I think we saw it. Remember, it was game four in the bubble. <laughs> yeah. He had that really scary fall. Um, and I, I just, like, the amount of times we've covered this team, and I feel like Tobias has a bad injury, and then he, like, goes to the locker room and he comes back three or four minutes later. It's just, he's a very underrated tough guy slash badass. Yeah, and, and I mean, look, even without that, like, what do you end up with in terms of? Hold on, I should probably have this up. It's part of my job. There is a there is a war. There's a yeah. Embiid. There's a lot of debate over Embiid. How dare you call him a down night? He had 39. He had periods where he was down. Um, but fourth the, quarter, he struggled. But anyway, it, it doesn't matter. We don't need to get yeah. into that. We already talked about that. Let them fight. Yeah. Yeah. T- Tobias ended up with one free throw tonight. One free throw attempt. I don't think that really. It's weird because on the one hand, I feel like he is attacking the rim harder and more decisively than he has most of his Sixers career. I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that he's getting those opportunities in transition, just kind of take it at the rim, you know, bully his way in there uh, off of again transition, maybe unset defenses. I think he's attacking probably better than he has. That's how he ends up with uh, 17 field goal attempts, only one from three point line. I don't like that. I would like for him to get up five, three point attempts, but if the counter of that is, he's going to get a lot more shots in early offense. We had a lot more shots at the rim. He ended up with 22 points, seven rebounds, two assists on set on 11 for 17 shooting. Uh, and had he, to be fair, he would have had two more free throw attempts, uh, but he had to leave the game, which brought up some confusion. I think not only with fans, but also the referees <laughs> because uh, so Tobias, he left the game, basically get checked for a concussion. Most times, if a player who gets fouled can't take the free throws, the other team gets to select the free throw shooter and that player can't return to the game. The only one exception to that is if it's to get checked for a concussion. So because of the concussion... By the way, good rule. It is a good rule because you should not be concerned about taking a player out to get evaled for a concussion. So instead of the Sixers being able to select their shooter, the Pacers selected K.J. Martin. He came in, he missed two... The that, was, referees, that was a tough couple of K.J. Martin minutes. Tough K.J. minute. Misses, misses two free throws and then stands in the wrong place. A couple minutes later, like legitimately a couple of possessions, the referees realize their mistake. Let Tobias or let Tyrese Maxey take those two free throws instead. Uh, Maxey ended up making them, and Tobias was allowed to come back into the game. And again, that was all because that was a concussion protocol. If that was any other injury, if Tobias leaves that game without taking those free throws— the Pacers get to select the free throw shooter. Tobias can't re-enter the game. Caused a lot of confusion, not only for, I think, fans, for the broadcast, and certainly for the referees. It's not the first time the refs in a Sixers game have given the ball to the wrong free throw shooter. Uh, I believe we saw that in the postseason last year. Slightly, just a slightly more high-stakes environment because, again, Derek, this is NBA Cup basketball we're talking about. <laughs> uh, you know. And also, uh, it's, it's like these guys don't want to go to Vegas and play an extra game and get yeah. 500K. yeah. I'll go to Vegas. If you give me 500, I might not come back to Philly with that 500K, but I will go to Vegas and take an extra 500K. Um, I'm all right with that. Then again, my my, my pay scale is a little different than Joel's, so I understand that there's a different motivation there. 
two two Tobias points tonight. Couple record scratches on open threes in yep. the corner. Come on, man. You got you got to let that go. Uh, and that has been a problem in his career. Load up. It, it's hey, load up, brother. And he just doesn't do it quite as much. Uh, and you saw, I think there was one. I forget. It was in the middle of the game. Joel and Tyrese were both pretty frustrated with him. I think it was towards the end of the first half. But the the one major positive point for Tobias, and I think a team like Indy kind of exacerbates it, where he uh, he gets more opportunities to do this. He's been really good, just bullying dudes one on one in transition. Where yeah. You know, I think when DeAnthony Melton takes a guy one-on-one in transition... You're holding your breath. It's not always the greatest thing in the world. But when Tobias does it, I feel like he's shooting a really high percentage. I feel like players are bouncing off him. He's found found the right angles on finishes. It's something I think we saw a lot more when Ben Simmons was good and pushing the ball to him in transition. But Tobias is doing it himself now. Um, So that's been really good. But... uh, yeah, I, I think like look, I, I actually I saw in the the chat that I thought they were gonna win when he came back. Like that was like a nice emotional bomb. Sure, thing. you know Tobias makes the first shot, he banks in one of those mid post isos. Uh, yeah, so just wasn't a beat tonight though. No, I mean look, D'Anthony going to the rim in transition. It's a little bit like me going into that read. You're hopeful something good might come of it, but you're holding your breath the entire time. Speaking of which, the Sixers have a big game here coming up tomorrow. If you want tickets to that, you can still hop in on game time and find the best deal you can. You can get that right up to the time of the event. Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and a best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Game time is the place for last-minute ticket deals. Forget planning months in advance. Like I said, you can go to tomorrow's game. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. And the Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set with tickets sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Uh, Big thing, too, just looking at the stats. Offensive rebounding absolutely killed the Pacers on uh, on Sunday. Some some huge plays by, like, Pat Bev was making plays to create extra shots for Maxi. It didn't happen tonight. And, you know, Joel was... Looking at his offensive rebounding, he was down from eight to three, but like Tobias had four the other night. He had zero tonight. Uh, Pacers did kind of a much, much better job. And I just wonder. No, I mean, the Sixers, I mean, Pacers out on the Sixers. Pacers got 38.7%. Nope, that's running off the transition. I apologize. I can barely even read. Pacers still out rebound the Sixers, getting rebounds on 22.4% of their missed shots compared to 19 for the Sixers. I think in the previous game, the Sixers almost doubled them up on the offensive glass. So that was a big change between the two. It, it just seemed like, I know that number uh, 22.4 doesn't seem like a lot. There was a stretch in the third quarter where it felt like Embiid was trying to attack, um, you know, contest shots. And it just felt like Rocco and Maxi and Melton were just giving up boards to like Isaiah Jackson. Yeah. Pretty much every possession where, look, and that's another issue that Indiana presents the Sixers where they run so much and they're so well spaced that they put them into a lot of switches and and they took advantage of it both, you know, in isolation and on the glass. And I, I just thought like it, it felt like a playoff series and that the Sixers, even though Indiana had some good moments in the first game, it felt like they actually dictated the play in the second game. They, yeah, uh, they came back and look, that's. That's a good learning lesson. And to that point, the, the the frustration on the glass goes back to the other side as well. In the previous game, the Sixers rebounded legitimately over half of their missed shots, 52%, to come back in the very next one and only get 19%. That was one. Again, the Pacers are a very unique team where they will have some games um, where it's just real, it's real hard to match up with them because they push the ball so well, because they get open threes. Uh, they're a real good offensive team who will stress you both in terms of bending your defense and also just stress your legs because they run up and down the floor nonstop. You have to make that up in other areas. One of that is getting the free throw line. Uh, the Sixers did that at various points. The other is getting extra possessions, which not only get you extra possessions, but then it's tougher for the Pacers to get out. Not able to do that at the rate they did the previous game uh, was a, a, a pretty big factor, I think. And I, I do think this goes to show, like, hopefully Batum is back for the next game. 
I don't I don't know how long he is uh, he's going to be out for. But I, I just like I've really liked what I've seen from from Nico. Like he's been just kind of that perfect connector piece, and it just felt like Cove was. He felt a little bit short of that tonight where Cov was a little bit unsure of himself. You know, some of those shots, there were some air balls in there yeah. <laughs> from Cov. Was, it wasn't his best performance. I think he's probably better suited yeah. on those bench lineups. Yeah, I mean, that's why he basically started, you know, the first and third and didn't really play much out of that or after that. I don't think he can ramp up Cov to a 35-minute pregame player like you might have been during his first stint here. But they really, I mean, they were just desperate. Like, we talked about House. Like, he was borderline unplayable for unplayable. most of the game. And Bam. they, they Morris too. They, sure. That's 36 minutes that you can't get. You Like, you can't play those two 36 minutes combined. The Sixers just didn't have a ton of other options. And, again, I don't want to, like, it's Jaden Sprinter. I don't want to make too big of a deal of it. But, like, just getting a young kid in there with a little athleticism to keep up in the track meet. Not that I think Jaden Springer is going to tilt the game or anything, but, like, I'd rather see that than Marcus Morris. Look, and, and that's all. And there were like key possessions. And Alex in the chat said, uh, "Let anybody else shoot threes, but but Halliburton." I think that was true, but he took twelve of them. There were, I, I bet you, all five of them that he missed were like thirty footers. Yeah, and they, you could yeah, tell they, they were deep. There was yep. a difference in quality between those after the Sixers cut off driving lanes a couple of times where, yeah, he's still going to be able to get that shot off. But like you could tell like good defensive possession, he's probably going to miss that shot. And after he misses that shot, you get to run it right down their throat the other way. And they just did not do that quite as much. Uh, another guy who killed the Sixers tonight, our old pal, TJ McConnell. TJ, he's been a real pest both of these games. And we look at, like, we're going to talk a lot here of players they could acquire. I don't think TJ will be available because I expect the Pacers to be good. But that kind of a guard who can, you know, at least advance the ball, who can help you break a press, and who can be just a complete and utter pain in the ass on defense, maybe one of those might exist in, in Chicago. Who knows? We'll sh- see what happens. He's talking, he's talking shit to Joel the entire game. The entire TJ. game. And I'm sure Joel's talking shit right back, and they'll probably laugh about it afterwards. Uh, you would like someone of that ilk. I love that guy. And the fact that he has carved out this career is incredible. And by the way, when he when he gnashes under the rim and he takes that 10-foot jumper, that thing's good every yep. time. Yeah, we, That's why when Joe gave up that 12 or 15-foot baseline, it's like, Joe, that's that's his bread and butter. That's his real only shot in his arsenal. you got to take that away from him. It's, it's you got to know that. It's one of those where the Sixers played bad defense Now, he times. wasn't gnashing on that one, but he that's the same spot. Yeah. yeah. And look, the— the Sixers played bad defense at times, but the ball found TJ open from three. That's when I said, okay, that's all right. Like, that's that's bad defense probably, but he's probably not going to make that shot. But TJ did get to his spot. Um, I thought Melton got beat a couple times by him, even though his his defense was good at uh, at times. Yeah. So, uh, anyway. I, I just, I just I realized TJ. we might have some younger players in the audience. Can you explain what gnashing means as a verb? Oh, gnashing means just dribbling under the rim and going out the other way. Yeah. Uh, because know. Steve Nash. Would yeah, do because that all Steve time. Nash used yeah. to do it. Um, he was he was the goat at it, but TJ is, is pretty good at it. Man, he gets some elevation on that thing too. So. Yeah. No, I, look, I love I love TJ. He's entertaining. He's a real good defender. Like I said, just another ball handler with a little bit of juice in their legs would be just absolutely fantastic. But. I think we're going to wait a little while for that. I don't think they're going to make a move here until deadline, nor do I think they should. I think the next couple of months should be the Embiid and Maxi show, see what those two can develop into, uh, and then see where your needs are from there. And I do think they will be, you know, it'll be interesting. Like, we will probably spend way too much time on this show talking about who those options might be, again, because I don't expect anything to happen for three months, so we probably don't need to devote too much time, but it's impossible not to wonder, because I do think, despite a, a frustrating game today, these Sixers are going to be good enough that we're going to be left wondering, are they a move away? Uh, and I think that will be a fun debate to have. Real, real quick on Levine. I think everybody can agree here. Like, n- n- Even if you were in before, Maxi has made that. Just yeah. you, don't, you don't need that skill set. And I think, again, he's probably a player that I think you and myself and Rich, you are Rich, and Kyle probably talked about quite a bit here in the you know preseason shows. I don't think the three of us have ever been super high on Zach Levine. Not that we don't think he's skilled. When, when, he's, when he's cooking, it's about oh, he's, as fun he's, he's as incredible. any player in the league. But again, there You're are not, other games. He's not I, cooking well, every night. I've, I've seen some people go, well, you, you, weren't, you didn't, weren't high on Kelly Oubre. Well, the difference is you gave up zero draft picks and a minimum contract for one year for Kelly Oubre. 
you've got to believe in Zach Levine as a missing piece a lot more to give up multiple draft picks to take on what's he two hundred million dollars in salary. He's got you've got to view him as the missing piece to a championship team to say yes, go out there and get him. And the combination of his putrid defense uh, and overlapping skill sets with Maxi and the jump Maxi has taken, I don't necessarily want to take Maxi the ball out of Maxi's hand. I want to. Well, I'm mean, first. I want to just watch him for the next three months and yeah. then reevaluate that. Exactly. And I think the Levine trade might end up on a different timeline than that. Um, but also, I want a player who can play both on and off ball and excel. And part of that means, um, you know, buying in defensively and buying in not having the ball in your hands. And I'm just not sure that Zach Levine is the right fit there. What about Alex Caruso? Oh, I love Alex. I, I love Caruso. I love him. As a fit on this team, too. I mean, he's not a perfect fit because, like, if you get frustrated by people not shooting threes, I feel like he's going to drive you pretty insane. He, every time I go on, like, Stat Muse or Basketball Reference and I look up the players with the lowest usage rates in the league, yeah, it's like P.J. Tucker, Pat Bev, yeah. and then Alex Caruso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, look, I, I think when it's Alex Caruso— At least now you'd only have two out of three on your team, though. <laughs> exactly. But when it's Alex Caruso and you would actually— be giving up stuff to get yeah. him. I, I'm going to be a little more critical of that. Sure. Than Pat Bev. Well, and it's also frustrating because he's a pretty good shooter too. It's not like he can't shoot. It's just on very, very low volume. That being said, the way that somebody, uh, what is he? Six, four, the defensive impact that he can make at six, four like that is just incredible. I really enjoy watching him play defense. If they can find a way to get him on the court. For sure, I would have interest. This this is not the uh, the bar that I would judge him on. But if they had him tonight to guard Tyrese Halliburton, I think they probably win the game. Yeah. Not to say Halliburton would not have still had a huge night. I just think there would have we been worked a little harder for it. Yeah, there would yeah. have been a little more resistance on that end. I I also got a kick out of the report that the Milwaukee Bucks would like Alex Crusoe, which with what, what are they trading for? Yeah, trading? yeah. The the amount of people, by the way, on Twitter, they're like, no, 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 you don't know. John Horst, he can do it. He makes magic. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then they're like, well, people said we didn't have assets before uh, trading for Dame. It's like, no, you got rid of all of them to, right. to get Dame. Yeah. You so. literally traded a, 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 I don't want to say a star, but a borderline all-star level point guard. What do you mean you didn't have assets? And then you had three years of draft picks that right. are very valuable. And now you have none of those, at least first round picks. So uh, I, I do think the, the other point with Crusoe is that I think the whole league is going to want him. Like, I think the whole league is pretty much in on a player like that who, yeah, you have to live with his warts in terms of not shooting threes, but he fits on any roster with yeah. any sort of ball dominant type of player. Yeah. Um, it will, again, we have plenty of time to talk about that. Uh, he is certainly someone I would have interest in more, much more so than his teammate, even though his teammate is obviously much more talented um and we'll probably fetch a bigger price too but um yeah you know i think the sixers should blame for their loss tonight bill simmons had doc rivers on his podcast to talk about the sixers again it's wild to me that doc is going on bill simmons podcast because those two did not get along for a very long time a very long time but i think it's a bit from bill simmons where he's just trying to troll the sixers fans as much as possible it might be he cannot it take might be this level of success from the Sixers. So he needs Doc's commentary on this great start without him. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's wild. That's absolutely wild. Um, no, I did not. If there's one podcast I'm going to skip, it's probably Bill Simmons and Doc Rivers. I think I'm just going to leave that one there uh, and go on to the next one. There's actually been a lot of good talk about this team that tends to happen when you start off eight and one. And when you have two players who are legitimately playing at an MVP caliber Level, which, quite frankly, Tyrese Maxey was up until this game. Uh, he has had a blistering start to the season. Uh, so you will get a lot of national media attention when you do that. I guess, you know, there, there's a lot of things in the... Uh, of course, the two guys with the slower balder, shorter white guy instead of Levine. Well... <laughs> I'm not bald yet. I'm working on it. I'm not there yet. Well, I'm, I, as you can see, I'm getting there. But... Uh, and, and really, the only reason I want him is for his hair. But uh, <laughs> the uh, ultimately, where do you fall on this game tonight? Like, I, I think the way Embiid played down the stretch was annoying. It was annoying. It was an annoying game that I probably don't care too much about. I think that's what it is. Like, I think if if we continue to see Embiid play like this, then it starts to get a little more worrisome. 
but also like there's 82 of these games. Like yeah, gonna he's be- going to be shitty. And again, he was real good in the first half, especially at points in the first quarter. He's going to have quarters where he's shitty. It's just going to happen. That's there's, that's fine. There's going to be poor. I mean, how much can you really complain when they're eight and one and Tyrese Maxey, like I just said, was playing at an MVP caliber level? Like you can't overreact to one game. It's just some games will be frustrating. Uh, again, I think there were probably maybe some um, concerns you have about this team that might have been shown throughout the course of this game. I think maybe the need for more depth and another creator, especially on nights, um, you know, when you're short a couple of pieces, that was shown. But they probably win this game for two stars plays like stars on a stretch. That's not going to happen. You can't expect them to execute 82 out of 82. Annoying game that I probably don't care too much about. I think that's right. And I think it's probably a bad matchup for him too. Like a team that can push the ball like that, uh, get out in transition, get those open threes. Like that's a tough matchup. Even though the Sixers should be able to get whatever they want inside, that's a tough matchup for him defensively. You know what it kind of reminds me of, to to use a baseball analogy, it kind of reminds me of like when the Phillies score 10 runs in a game and then they can't hit at all. They basically get no hit in the next game, kind of like World Series game three and game four last year against the Astros. Um, It it just reminded me of that where – you know, Maxi has this 50-point game, and I think the whole country and the national media is on ESPN. They finally realize, like, oh, shit, not only has he been – was he awesome last night, he's been terrific for the first 10 games. Like, these are – like you said, if, if you compare some of these numbers to star guards, it's pretty crazy. It, it just felt like this is a game they were going to lose. They were going to come back to earth after kind of such a triumphant win. And it's also a bad matchup because that team, if you don't match their energy, uh, they're going to run the ball down. Yeah, even on a you know two games and three nights, the Pacers are going to come out with energy uh, for sure. Uh, I think I mean we said it very early on in the first quarter, like this feels like a loss, and that was even that was even when the Sixers' energy was pretty good. It still felt like a loss. It's real tough, like we said, to beat a good team twice, even in a home uh, two game home set. It's just it's real tough to win. It's, two straight. it's so weird because I don't think it's quite as hard in the postseason. Maybe that's because no. the teams kind of know that yeah. they're going to go back home, and it's not necessarily a do or die thing, but. I feel like the Sixers have actually probably won more of these two game sets uh, in in our time covering the team. But it feels like whenever they're on the road and they lose a tough game, like I remember at the beginning of the year against uh, Toronto last season, they looked absolutely horrible. I think yep. they went to one and four. Then they don't play with Embiid in the second game, and Maxi goes absolutely yep. Yep. insane. It's just one of those things where I I think the second game clunker yep. happens to a lot of teams, not just the Sixers. And look. I thought they were pretty bad the night. They're obviously down Ubre and Batum. They didn't get killed, right? It was it was really poor execution down the stretch, but it was a very winnable game. And I, and I think that speaks highly of the Sixers. Like we certainly haven't seen them get blown out yet this year. Yeah. No, I mean the other, only other loss was a one point loss to the Bucks. All right. Uh, one quick word here. Uh, if you have any questions, drop them in the chat. We might get to Kyle here in the fourth segment, checking in from the Wells Fargo Center. Before that, a quick word from Foco. Foco is a leading manufacturer of sports and entertainment merchandise with a product line that includes apparel, accessories, toys, collectibles, novelty items, and more. It's the best officially licensed gear for all sports and fandoms. With it being football and tailgating season, it means that overalls, hoodies, hats, sunglasses, bags, everything you need for a game, Foco has. And Foco has hooked PHLY up and provided awesome pieces for our sets. Foco always has our back for Philly sports, and they have yours too. Get the best gear around by using the link in our description. For all non-presale items, use a promo code PHLY for 10% off. Um, yeah, so outside of that, you know, I think... What, what have you made of Paul Reed so far this season? Because I feel like he struggled really um, for the first five or so games. Played a little bit better here of late. I think defensively, his activity has been good. Uh, and those minutes that they're playing without Embiid, they, they're they pretty much winning them all. Including, you know, obviously, I think pretty much every minute Paul Reed has played this year has come alongside of Tyrese Maxey. And ty- when Tyrese Maxey is on a nine-game heater like he was coming into this game, that certainly helps those plus-minus. But what do you make of his overall play here in the early going? Uh, look, I, I think for me, the... The bar for Paul Reed is how are they faring in those minutes? And, and some of that comes down to how Maxi is scoring. Is he, is he carrying the offense? But it, it feels like he hasn't been quite as active. I don't know. It feels like last season when, when the Sixers were playing well in his minutes, he was everywhere, right? right? Like he was getting hands on balls. He was getting a bunch of dunks. Now, part of me thinks 
that uh, that some of that was due to James Harden. Like I think James Harden was a perfect fit with Paul Reed. Yes, where for sure. He would spoon feed him these uh, these layups, and I, I just don't think Maxi is quite there with Reed yet. You know, and like, look, they'll probably get there. Doc always used to say it. Those were the two guys who would uh, who would work out early in the morning together. They clearly like each other. Tyrese loves them some Paul Reed, but I think the Maxi and B pairing has made more strides than Maxi Reed. I would say, and that's. Not surprising. Joel's a little bit better than uh, than, a little than bit, Paul. A little bit. What do you think? To I, t- I take it back because we're we're a detail for accuracy here. Uh, Paul Reed has only played ninety four percent of his possessions with Maxi on the court. He has actually played fifteen whole possessions without Tyrese. Yeah. Um, no, well, I actually don't remember them. Must be a garbage time. Look, I think. Uh, do we have Kyle? Okay. All right. I think we are going to go check in. To Kyle here from the Wells Fargo Center. How you doing, buddy? Nice hoodie. You can get that at phlocker.com. Yes, you can. I don't know if I can get the... There we go. There's the logo on the screen. Uh, Hope you guys had fun stalling, waiting for me to get to the end of the pod. Um, So, Kyle, what uh, what did Nick Nurse have to say after that one? So... Not super negative, obviously, after ripping off a bunch of wins in a row. Uh, it said something to the effect of he thought that they were probably inches away from maybe doubling the turnover number for Indiana. He said he thought that they hit on a lot of crazy cross-court passes late in the clock. They'd played good defense, good rotations. And then, you know, some of this is just a credit to Tyrese Halliburton, where the guy's able to make weird angle cross court passes and so that was a big thing obviously the offensive execution left a lot to be desired these guys were not heavy on explanation after the game i would say i think they probably kind of chalked it up to long season breaks don't go your way i mean before we got to the part of the game where joel was turning the ball over and you know clogged toilet offense there in the final couple of minutes I think there was a missed dunk that he had after blowing by Turner. There's some open threes that Tyrese missed. So I think their overall sentiment was they left money on the table tonight. Was there any kind of update on Tobias? Obviously. Okay. Any kind of update on Tobias, his status, how his neck is feeling, uh, all of that? No, I I honestly, I don't even remember if it came up after the game. I think everybody sort of assumed that since he checked back into the game after, what did he miss, like a minute or two before coming back, that that was kind of just the end of of that situation. I don't know how weird it was for you guys watching on TV, but that situation with the K.J. Martin free throws that they later had to review and figure that out, I understand it's a unique situation scenario doesn't happen very often but that was just bewildering in person because we were getting no explanation up to the point that they actually announced it over the loudspeaker so glad they finally cleared that up well it it was kind of weird because i when when tobias was able to check back into the game uh, obviously if you're not able to shoot a free throw normally you are not allowed to come back in uh concussion is really the only situation where they allow that and I tweeted out the uh, direct rule from the rule book, and I completely skipped over the fact that the, the, the team with the injured player gets to select the free throw shooter. I didn't read that. I just saw the player with the concussion is able to come back into the game after checking. Uh, so I think if I would have done a little more due diligence on the rule, I should have been able to figure that out before they actually allowed Tyrese to shoot that. Uh, but I don't know if I've ever seen that before. I think that was new territory for me for sure. Yeah, well, I was yelling about it on press row when – and I didn't know the rule at the time. I had not seen your tweet digging that out. It didn't really make any sense to me that Bruce Brown climbed Tobias like a fucking tree. And then it was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, they get to decide who's shooting the free throw here after he basically assaulted the guy. Not really intentionally, but still, it would have been a really goofy thing to be like, yeah, he fouled the hell out of him. Oh, and you also get to pick who who shoots the free throws now that you injured him and he's out of the game. Yeah. No, I we were talking about that. It seems like a good rule to have just so the fact that you can encourage players to go get checked out for a concussion and not feel like they have to do something just to stay in the game. I agree with that. I agree with that. Uh, Kyle, did uh, I saw Nick Nurse said something about the Pacers' physicality against Tyrese. I think uh, good buddy Austin Krell tweeted that out. What, what was he saying? Was he saying that they just he thought there should have been more fouls on some of those drives for Tyrese? Yeah, and then he softened that a little bit by saying, 
that being the case, once you understand how the officials are calling a game, you got to learn to play through it. I, I do think both at the podium and in the locker room, there was some discussion about how the Pacers played. And I think the suggestion was kind of that, you know, Joel obviously drew a ton of fouls early. Two on Miles Turner, two on Isaiah Jackson, two on Jalen Smith, all in the first quarter. And I think he almost believes that that ended up being a negative for the rest of the team because there becomes a point where the officials are just not going to call fouls on every possession. It's sort of the old Seattle Seahawks the football Seahawks Legion defense. Of yeah. yeah, exactly, where they commit pass play. interference 50% of the time, and then at the end of the game, he's blowing up Michael Crabtree. So I think Tyrese specifically probably felt that he was getting pushed and shoved and pulled for portions of the game tonight that didn't get called. But he said at the podium after the game, he's like, look, I got to play through it. I got to stop. There, He said a few times he actually looked to draw fouls and maybe exaggerate contact. And instead of doing that, he's got to go strong to the rim either dunk it, lay it up, instead of shooting those runners and throwing his arms up and things like that. So, yes, I thought they they said that they thought that the whistles were tight for parts of that game, but I think they ultimately landed on they have to learn how to play through that and adjust to that. What, what did you make of Embiid down the stretch? Like, I, Derek and I were talking, like, obviously some really poor decisions. The, the over-the-head shot was something else, like – did you think he was tired just from the the pace that Indiana was playing the entire game, or or do you think it was something else there? I think there's some of that. I would not be surprised if he was hurting all throughout the night. I can tell you from having watched him warm up, he did go through the full paces, but there was a lot of grimacing, a lot of extra stretching, even like the ball handling he does before he starts his shooting routine. There was a lot more side-to-side, testing out the hip, his mobility overall. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was some of it, that he just didn't feel like he could move as well, and that limited him in some ways tonight. Uh, I would That's certainly something to keep an eye on for tomorrow against Boston. I know there are the rules regarding stars sitting out of games on national TV, and so we're going to have to see how that plays out tomorrow night. But would not shock me if he misses tomorrow. I know he's obviously always wants to play, period, let alone against Boston. But I do think there are maybe some mobility and pain concerns right now. Yeah, he was, he was what, questionable with left hip soreness coming in? Yes, uh, and that was a true game-time decision as well. They, they did right. not tell us until about 20 minutes before the game. Do you have any kind of sense on whether Nick Batum will be available? And if not... Do you think uh, did did Nick talk uh, Nick Nurse in this instance talk about his rotations at all? Maybe the decision to go with Marcus. How do you see tomorrow shaking out in that regard? I, I wish I had a better answer for you on Batum. We're still kind of in the dark on that one. The personal reasons haven't really been elaborated on at all since he's joined the team. I, I don't even know if it's the the same ones he was dealing with previously, and don't want to speculate. I would say that. Tonight shows you, though, how important Nick Batum is to this team, especially without Kelly Oubre. You know, Kelly offers more of the shot creation element, but Batum has a combination of the connective passing, the ability to run some actions with Joel that stabilizes a lot of these groups. And, you know, Cove only played, what, 16, 17 minutes tonight after getting a start. So Nick clearly doesn't trust him a whole heck of a lot. Pat Bev played quite a bit and was a real roller coaster with him with reach in fouls and all kinds of other silly shit that he did throughout the game. So yeah, I mean, the sooner they can get him back, the better, but unclear as of now, whether he's playing tomorrow. All right. I think, uh, I think that's all I have for Kelly. I got any more. That's all I got. We got another game tomorrow. Got another game tomorrow. He got a little bit of a late night because of that whole review situation. That seemed like it took about 45 minutes out of all of our lives. Thank you for uh, jumping on Kyle and I'll see you soon. Yeah, geez, it's almost 11 p.m. Get the hell out of there, fellas. I'll talk to you soon. All right, we did have one super chat come in from Bill, which we want to make sure we get to here before we close out. He notes that the Sixers currently have the fifth fewest threes in the NBA. NBA. Any idea how they can fix this or if it is an issue? And I think two things are worth pointing out. First of all, the actual overall volume is even worse than that. Yes. Uh, they came in at the, in terms of percentage of their shots, threes made up 
only 29.4%. That is the second fewest. Only the Hornets take less. But it's also worth pointing out they came into the game with the third ranked, or no, the, what's the overall rank? Uh, hold on. I think it was a third ranked offense. It's a different page. And I don't have it up anymore. And I can't remember stuff for more than two minutes. Yes, the uh, actually the second ranked offense in the league. So it hasn't been an issue yet. And again, this is something that I feel like we talked about before, especially in the preseason when it went like, all right, here's Nick Nurse. You know he wants to shoot threes. How much of a difference can he make? They're never going to be like the top ranked or towards the top of the league because of Joel Embiid. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but he operates a lot from the mid post area, a lot from the mid range. He's going to take a good volume of shots from there. He's going to take a good volume of your shots. Because of that, you're never going to be like the Golden State Warriors. I would like to see them take a little more though. And this comes back to like, we talked about this a little bit with Tobias, we talked about it with various players. Um, even even Tyrese at times you'd like for him to take more, although he's I think he's been good more often than not in that regard so far this year. Um, and I think this comes back from like you just don't have that elite passer or even really positive, like good secondary passers where some of these corner threes would come from, you know, whether it is sort of like the heart, the Harden pick and roll or the Harden skip pass that the pick and roll would open up. You don't have anyone really capable. I thought Tyrese made a real good uh pass like that here in the game. Unfortunately, it went to Patrick Beverly, who came up about two feet short. <laughs> but you just don't have very many players who, when you you know kick the ball out to, even if they're just attacking the closeout, there's just not a lot of creativity. I do think the corner threes, or any threes really in particular, is one area that shows up. Yeah, and, and look, they're... Um their like location effective field goal percentage is actually pretty high because they shoot a ton at the right. rim. And I would also add, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think they're either one or two in free throws right, right. now, which is exactly what you want from a Joel Embiid team. Yeah, and it's not even like they're a, a huge like mid-range team. Like they're right in the middle of the pack in terms of mid-range jumpers. So like you mentioned, they're taking generally good shots. They're coming a little more at the rim than from three. That's okay. Uh, but... They're just, I don't think they're ever going to be a hot, a super high volume, even with someone like Tyrese, who I think could be. And what was Tyrese averaging? Like maybe eight attempts per game mm-hmm. coming into this one. Uh, they just don't have very many volume three-point shooters, especially if Cubs not going to play a major role. I don't think it's going to be a strength, but I would like to see them move up a little bit for sure. And some of it is even Melton. Like, you know, when he would miss one or two in these early games, like it felt like he was passing some up too. Um, you know, you see tonight, you know, he gets up six because he's feeling pretty good about himself. Uh, Pat Bev also just passes up a ton of them too. Yep. Uh, look, I think the Sixers are 29th, as Derek said, in their percentage of three-point shots. You would like to see that. It's still going to be in the bottom half, but you would like it closer to average, I would yeah. say, is the way I would put it. And that's that's everybody, right? That's Tyrese going up from 8 to 10. That's Tobias taking a few more. That's probably Nico Batum playing, right? And And he can fire up some kind of quick contested ones you know have you seen Batum's kind of got the one where he's got like the no dip ones where yeah he just catches it and goes right up with it which is nice to see the old clay yeah yep. so and the old the old Ferk Ferk was working Firk, on too yeah Ferk can do that as well uh Ferk probably played a couple minutes tonight let's let's move on from him <laughs> um yeah but I, I'd like to see that number go up a little bit but it's also hard to complain too much right now right when you have a top five offense. they're currently like I said second in the league in offense Third in the league in shots at the rim, eighth in the league in short mid-range shots, and first in the league at getting the free throw line. So if we see it change where like maybe that amount at the rim goes down, the free throws go down, mid-range goes up, that's when I get concerned if there's no then corresponding increase in threes. But if threes are being taken up by free throws and rim shots, no, I'm I'm okay with that trade-off. There's, look, and there's there's a balance to be had there. We saw last week, but Boston is second in the uh, percentage of threes yeah. that they take. Look, that game was when three-point shooting goes wrong. They took terrible ones. They were contested. They were not putting any pressure on the rim. It's like, yeah, they got up a lot of threes, and you see it after the game. Joe Mazzulla is like, well, we took a lot of threes. And it's like, well, how did you generate those, man? You know? Um, so, So there is a little bit of a balance. I will say, though, like in tonight's game, did not think the Sixers did a good job leveraging the three-point line at all. Right. Yeah. If, they, if they're going to pressure up on you at the three-point line, Joel, you got to you got to score more one-on-one. Tobias, you too, and Ty- Tyrese as well. So, uh, yeah, like, look, not a huge problem right now, but you would like to see that number. 
creep up a little bit. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably something I'm be concerned about. Not so much because I, I concern too much about the overall attempt, but because I think it's a reflection of their lack of players who can really break anyone down off the dribble and force yeah. a rotation. I think that will concern me, but it's more the skill set that they're lacking rather than the overall three-point attempts. Well, and it also might get worse before it gets better because you mentioned the lack of, of kind of ball handlers who can get into the defense. I mean, Kelly Oubre isn't kicking out too many of them. But any he of them, yeah. But he, like any of them. Yeah. But he certainly is a threat yes. to like, you know, has to be covered, those type of things. Also, he takes them once in a while too. Yes, for sure. For sure. All right. I think, uh, I think it's probably a good enough place to end it. Like I said, a frustrating game but not one that I really concern myself too much with. I think it'd be fascinating if these two teams do end up meeting up here in April, but we're still a little ways away from that and probably a major trade away from that. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man. I appreciate the Embiid Civil War in the chat that was going Seriously. on for the hour, too. Good job, guys. <laughs>